that we're on the second... What? The second book. That's right. Now, let, let's go back. First of all, this little world of ours is the lesson book of the universe. you find this in the second paragraph of Desire of Ages, right, from the, right at the beginning. This little world of ours is the lesson book of the universe. This is the stage of the universe, this world of ours. And the whole universe is looking on. And they're getting cured of sin. And they're really going to be cured. Don't you think they are? And not only that, but those of us who escape this world without being cremated are going to be cured too. This is the place where the cure of sin takes place. Now, not only is this world of ours the lesson book of the universe, but God has given to the people on this earth lesson books that we're to study. And we are told that they would, that they were full of, what? Full of instructions to all who bring to them the willing hand, the seeing eye, and the understanding heart. Now, I'll read this paragraph. Now, I want to tie this in to our first study because this is real important what we're studying. Because this, uh, if we don't understand the lesson books, we're not going to get the lessons. Do you see? And if we don't study the lesson books, if these are God's lesson books, then everything outside of this is not going to be so important. Page 77, Book Education. I hope you all bring the book Education with you and follow, because if you look at it as we study it and as we read it, you'll get that much more out of it. With the people of that age, the value of all things was determined by outward show. As religion had declined in power, it had increased in pomp. The educators of the time sought to command respect by display and ostentation. To all this, the life of Jesus presented a marked contrast. His life demonstrated the worthlessness of those things that men regarded as life's great essentials. Born amidst surroundings the rudest, sharing a peasant's home, a peasant's fare, a craftsman's occupation, living a life of, of obscurity, identifying himself with the world's unknown toilers. Among these conditions and surroundings, Jesus followed the divine plan of education. What was the divine plan of education? Well, we find it back in the beginning. The very first, the, it isn't the second chapter. The first chapter is the source name of education. And uh, the second chapter is the Eden School. And here is where we have our first school. What does it say? The system of, this is page uh, 20, education. The system of education instituted at the beginning of the world was to be a model for man throughout all after time. And uh, as an illustration of its principles, a model school was established in Eden the home of our first parents. The Garden of Eden was a schoolroom. Nature was a lesson book. The Creator Himself was the instructor and the parents of the human family were the students. This is what kind of a school? This was a family school. It was a model school. And on page 30, 
just to be sure that this is still what God wants, it says, page 30, third paragraph, under changed conditions, true education is still conformed to the Creator's plan. The plan of the Eden school. Adam and Eve received instruction through direct communion with God. We behold the light of the knowledge of His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So, Jesus returned to the original educational plan. We find that John received the same kind of education. And it's very interesting in this commentary uh, regarding John, there's a very interesting statement. I believe it's in Luke, first of Luke, if I remember right. Volume 5, 5 B.C., 1115. There was a great work appointed for the prophet John, but there was no school on earth with which he could connect. Why? Because they didn't teach him the work he was supposed to do. Do you think our work is as, is as important as John the Baptist's work? As a group, it's a parallel. Well, it's a parallel, but it is a more important work because this is the last message. Yeah. I was just thinking that um, Jesus referred to John's work, or John, as a fulfillment of Malachi, the yeah. Elijah uh, message. And that was a reformatory work. And then I think it's Refer to again somewhere in the spirit of prophecy that this is our work before the Lord comes, a reformatory work in fulfillment of this Malachi Elijah message. Then we understand the truth of this statement that we've used all through our studies. Now, as never before, we need to understand the true science of education. If we fail to understand this science, we shall never have a place in the kingdom of God then our eternal destiny is, on a, is based on our understanding what? The true science of education. And the science of education, we're going to have to get it from inspired sources. And now we're studying the lesson books, God's lesson books. Now let me continue with this. We were. It says, Born amid surroundings of rudest, sharing a peasant's home, a peasant's fair, a craftsman's occupation living a life of obscurity, identifying himself with the world's unknown toilers. Amidst these conditions and surroundings, Jesus followed the divine plan of education. The schools of his time with their magnifying of things small. They're what? Majoring in minors. They're majoring in minors and minoring in majors. That's exactly right. The schools of his time, with their magnifying of things small and their belittling of things great, he did not seek. His education was gained directly from heaven-appointed sources. From, what were they? Useful work. We've already studied that. But we'll continue to, to bring it in. And what was the next? The study of scriptures and of nature. Now, some people say this is two books, but it really there's only one book. In the, in the beginning, nature was the only lesson book they needed because we learned that everything in creation was an expression of the thought of God. Well, what's the reason we can't learn from it now? 
because there has come in a new a new force a new set of things in operation and there are running parallel in nature God's operation and whose operation? Satan. Satan's operation. And I think I told you, I remember very well when I started ninth grade science. The first thing they said to me when I started this, and this was in a good school, says the law of nature is the survival of the fittest. Well, that is the law of nature on the wrong side. But the law of Nature on the right side is that everything works for everything else. The sun sheds its light to gladden a thousand worlds. You and I are here are breathing out carbon dioxide, and the carbon dioxide is breathed in by the trees and all the vegetation in the world. is coming from, from carbon dioxide that comes out of the air. You know, when I was a little boy, I used to ask a question, and, I, and nobody ever gave me the answer. I didn't know anything about science. And I used to say, why is it that when a tree grows out of the ground, it doesn't leave a hole? <laughs> grows out of the ground, why does it leave a hole? Where's all that, where does all that bulk come from? Shouldn't it just be sinking down into the ground? And I, nobody knew any answers. But finally, when I got into science and way on beyond, well, I learned that there was a process called photosynthesis. That the carbon dioxide is taken into the leaf and by the action of the sun it's made into material. And the bulk of the tree doesn't come from the ground at all. It comes from the air. Well, some of you have a real questioning look on you. <laughs> if it doesn't come from the ground, why doesn't it fall, fall down in its own hole? Didn't you ever ask that question? No. Huh? I didn't get that. Well, the thing I couldn't understand, instead of a hole, it was always building up around it, and it was getting higher. Well, what? this didn't make any sense to me. Don't you think? <laughs> huh? And then when I learned that, instead of that, the trees are building up all the time because they're getting all their book out there, the leaves are falling. And did you know that all over the world today, I, I had the privilege of going to Palestine uh, through a very interesting uh, series of providences. I won't go into it today. But did you know that they have found in their excavation of the Holy Land, going clear back to the time of Christ, that over the whole area of Palestine, the earth has raised about 40 feet since the time of Christ. Everything's down 40 feet. And their cities over there built one right on top of another. And so the material from the sun, from the air is coming and falling on the earth and it's just gradually building up instead of going down. Well, anyway, I didn't mean to get sidetracked on this. But, but the thing that, that we re need to realize that we breathe oxygen and we breathe out carbon dioxide and the plants breathe in carbon dioxide and give off oxygen. This is why it's so bad in the cities. There isn't enough vegetation to take care of all the carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide and all the things out here in the country, you know. We have a surplus and, and a little of it gets over to the cities now and then, so which is very nice. Yes. That's one cause of emphysema because you can't get rid of it. Well, sure. You can't stuff. get rid of all this stuff out of it. All right. Now, now back to it. We were talking about the laws of God in nature. Everything lives for something else. I remember when I was studying science also, I studied symbiosis. Any of you ever studied symbiosis? You remember what it was? Yeah, in the ocean, 
There are a lot of fish that have no way of digesting their food, and they have little organisms in them. And when they eat the food, these little, these little organisms eat it, and the byproduct nourishes the fish. Without the, without the little organisms in their stomach, why, they couldn't live. And without the fish getting the, organ, the food for them, they couldn't live. You see, it's a mutual helpfulness. In fact, in Desire of Ages, it says, there isn't a bird that cleaves the air, there isn't a thing in the earth, but ministers to something else. Only the selfish heart of man lives to itself. You, you yeah. a monkey that doesn't eat all his banana. I haven't seen it, but he drops them and some other little creature won't get yeah. Well, all through nature is this. All right. Now, uh, back to what we were talking about. The reason we need Scripture is because nature would cause us to come to wrong conclusions because of the two laws in nature and because of the two, uh, the two uh, beings that are controlling the things of nature. See, uh, the devil, because of the laws of reproduction, has gotten into the, into the laws of nature and he's produced all kinds of malformations and mutations and all kinds of things. Did you know that God never brought anything into the world that would be any harm to man? But what has the devil done? By his ingenious methods of amalgamation, he has made all kinds of poisonous things in the earth. He's trying to kill the human race. And then we take these poisons and make medicine out of them. You see how smart we are. Well, isn't that right? Well, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. I, that's just what's happened. Well, sure it is. I don't know why we laugh at it. It seems funny, though. It's, it's it isn't funny. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm not. I don't want to get involved in this. That we we're studying education. But he makes his mixtures of good and evil. He puts good in with it. That's right. We wouldn't pay attention to it. But anyway, uh, back to what we're studying. We're we're studying the process by which. We're learning of God. Now, he put nature and scriptures together because without the understanding of scriptures, we would misinterpret nature. And this is what's wrong with science today. The scientific minds of our world don't believe in God because they have mixed these things all up. And it, it says in the Spirit of Prophecy that we shouldn't study natural science until we have an experimental knowledge of God. And then we won't get confused. But when people study science without God, then they come up with all kinds of things. But now back to what, we, what we're really studying today is uh, scriptures and nature as the second lesson book. And this is real important. And, and I, I want us to realize that this is absolutely vital. The first lesson was what? Useful work. And useful work gives stability to our characters. It's a, a mean, one of God's first means of recovery from sin is that he, we should be busy and we should be useful. And I, we, all, we talked about the fact that our whole organism is made for action. And if we, do, if we didn't exercise, we'd just deteriorate because our circulatory process, everything is carried on 
actively. Of course, it's the active result. It's God's, it's the, it's God's work that does it, but He uses our natural, our, our beings, and all of our circulation and everything is greatly accelerated and greatly increased because of our need of exercise. And it's not enough just to exercise. There must be the kind of exercise that has the pride of accomplishment with it, which is right. useful work. Well, he didn't want us to be so happy here that we wouldn't want someplace better. Isn't that right? If he hadn't cursed it, we wouldn't have to work that Well, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. All right. Now, what we want to deal with today particular is Scripture. And this is really important. Now, I want us to go back in our original study. See how many of you remember it. We studied two things. What were they? The nature of man and what? God's purpose in creating him. Now, God's purpose in creating him. Now, this was God's original plan. His original purpose had nothing to do with sin. And man's nature was that he was what? He was created capable of what kind of development? Infinite development. And he was different from anyone else in the universe. You remember that, don't you? He was a new and distinct order of being. And he was capable of infinite development. He was also made to have a special relationship with God. Without God, he was lower than the angels, but with God he could reach a development that the angels could not attain to. Man has a special relationship with God. He has a greater ability to have God in him than any other being, which makes him greater. You understand? Now, let's go back right to the first part of education and uh, find out what God says about uh, what he's still going to do. Uh, I'm going to read this paragraph, and I want to read the last part of it. This is page 14 and 15 of Education. In order to understand what is comprehended in the work of education, we need need to consider both the nature of man and the purpose of God in creating him. We need to consider also the change in man's condition through the coming in of a knowledge of evil and God's plan for still fulfilling his glorious purpose in the education of the human race then God is going to carry out what he had planned to carry out. Had man never sinned, he's going to carry it out in spite of sin. Then we'd better find out how he's going to do it, hadn't we? Now, we've already studied useful work, and he was given given work to do in the garden. He was to take care of the garden. Of course, it it wasn't accompanied with perspiration. In fact, there wasn't any perspiration, I'm sure, back there, because... You don't perspire when you're just perfectly comfortable. At least you, don't, you aren't conscious of it. And uh, everything was perfect. All right, now, he was capable of infinite development. Now, let's read those statements about infinite development and see how man's going to get the infinite development. If you remember the reference, one was page 124. And I want you to notice what it says. We're going to start the paragraph before this one, and then we're going to read that one. And this, very interesting enough, it's in the section, The Bible is an Educator. 
And not alone, I'm reading on page 124, and not alone in searching out truth and bringing it together does the mental value of Bible study consist. It consists also in the effort required to grasp the themes presented. The mind occupied with commonplace matters only become dwarf, becomes dwarfed and enfeebled. I remember when I studied psychology in school, uh, in connection with it, they said that the average mental age of the American adult was 17 years. And the, uh, and the reason, and, and yes, they said it was getting lower and lower all the time. The reason it was is because so many people read the comics. It's, it's made for an, for an age of about seven or eight years. And if we read them constantly, we're going to develop. It says that we're going to reach the level of what we study. And, of course, we're going to reach the level of what we study. In other words, if we're going to get a mind that is going to attain to what God wants it to, we're going to have to study topics and things that have in them the possibility of bringing infinite development. Is that right? You see what this says? It says the mind occupied with commonplace matters only becomes it dwarfed and what? Enfeebled. If never tasked to comprehend grand and far-reaching truths, it after a time loses the power of growth. As a safeguard against this de degeneracy and a stimulus to development, nothing else can equal the study of God's Word. As a means of intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than any other book or all other books combined. Now, uh, do you believe that? Yes. How much? 100%. That means we're going to read it 100% nothing else, doesn't it? Well, I don't, want to, I don't want to get into this now. We can get off into all kinds of tangents. All I want to say is this. The Bible is God's thoughts. And he says, my thoughts are what? As much higher as what? God wants us on this earth to think his thoughts. And his thoughts are revealed through his inspired writings. All right, now let's see what else it says. The, as a means of the intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than any other book or all other books combined. The, the, the greatness of its themes, the dignified simplicity of its utterances, the beauty of its imagery, quicken and uplift the thoughts as nothing else can. No other study can impart such mental power as does the effort to grasp the stupendous truths of Revelation the mind thus brought in contact with the thoughts of the infinite can but expand, cannot but expand and strengthen. And even greater is the power of the Bible in the development of the spiritual nature. Man created for fellowship with God. Created for what? Can only in such fellowship find his real life and development. Created to find in God his highest joy he can find in nothing else that which can quiet the cravings of the heart, can satisfy the hunger and thirst of the soul. He who with sincere and teachable spirit studies God's Word, seeking to comprehend its truths, will be brought in touch with its author, and by, except by his own choice, there is no limit to the possibilities of his development. There's what? 
Now, you see, the thing about this, folks, and I want to make this real practical and real plain, the reason that we don't understand the Bible anymore and we don't get any more out of it is because we don't consistently stay with it. We resist it. We read it a little bit and we say, well, I don't understand it, and we quit. Well, if you didn't have anything to eat but something you didn't like, would you starve to death? What do you think? You wouldn't need it? Yeah. I say you would if you wouldn't need it. Well, I say, do you, I say if we had nothing to eat today except things we really didn't like, you know, they, they weren't what we liked the most, would you start to death or would you learn to eat them? And do you know what after a while we do? We'd like it. We would like it. <laughs> this is exactly true of God's Word. Yes. I didn't use much spinach when I was little water. Well, there are a lot of things that I didn't used to like. In fact, uh, I just like most anything that's good. But listen, let me tell you something, folks. It takes systematic, continuous stick to to get to know the Bible and to appreciate it and to love it. I know that I haven't been spending, since I came to Wildwood, enough time studying the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy. Uh, and I have I've made a, a resolution. I told the folks at school today, this last week, that I'm going to find time during every 24 hours to read the Bible at least an hour and the Spirit of Prophecy at least an hour. Last year, the first of the year, I read the Bible through in three months. I had a real interesting time. Uh, If you just sit down and figure it, you know, it it doesn't take as long to read the Bible through as you think it does, and you won't get as much out of it as you will studying it. Uh, That isn't all we should do. We should study it besides that, but... Uh, on page 190 of this book said we should learn to view the Word as a whole. Now, if you're going to view it as a whole, you have to go through it. I wonder if there's anybody here that ever read the Bible straight through. Once. Well, you know, when I was a boy growing up, we read the Bible through every year from the time I could read. Well, uh, you can't understand a car by looking it over, but if I were going to buy one, I'd take a good look and see how it looks, wouldn't you? Then I'd want to know something about the engine and something about the interior. And we should study the Bible. Well, turn with me. Let's read this. Let's leave it right here. Uh, let's turn to 190. This is also on Bible study. I want you to notice how it says to read. Page 190. The Bible is its own expositor. Scripture is to be compared with Scripture. The student should learn to view the Word as a whole. As a what? As a whole. When I read that, I said, all right, I'm going to read the Bible through. And uh, if you will read consistently an hour a day on the Bible, you can read the Bible through in about four months if you're an average reader. Do you understand what you read? Well, now, wait a minute. I said, looking at it as a whole. I don't, you can't, look, if we took one verse in a thousand years and studied for eternity, would we still understand the Bible? All right, but we can understand the overall picture. You can get the you can get the overall uh, view of it. See, uh, from a chronological standpoint, and I got a real blessing out of reading the Bible through. And I, I've just been considering whether I ought to do it again. I I, I want to do it at least three times. I want to read it through rapidly, uh, just to get the overall. Because this is what it says: we should learn to study the Bible as what, as a whole. Well, uh, view the word as a whole and see the relation of its parts. In other words, this is, the, this is the great overall picture. And I'm not saying you should do that. I did it for my benefit. And then it said, 
Now, I want you to notice what we should, what we should find. Here's what we should be, look at as we're reading the Bible. He should gain a knowledge of its grand central theme of God's original purpose for the world. What was God's original purpose for the world? Human beings are the crowning work of God's creative power. They were made for fellowship with God. And it says, it says in third chapter of Revelation, He that overcometh, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. Jesus is going to take over the rulership of this universe. And He is the forerunner of a race of beings from this earth that are going to rule with Him all through all eternity over this universe. That's our privilege. That's the grand central theme. His original purpose for the world. And what is the next? Of the rise of the great controversy and of the work of redemption, he should understand the nature of the two principles that are contending for the supremacy and should learn to trace their workings through the records of history and prophecy to the great consummation. This is what we should learn in the Bible. He should see how this controversy enters into every phase of human experience. How in every act of life he himself reveals the one or the other of, two, of the two antagonistic motives. And how whether he will or not, he is even now deciding upon which side of the controversy he will be found. And look, folks. Most Christianity today is wishful thinking. It's not scientific. There's a science of salvation. We, we, should, we understand there's a science, a physical science. We know that if we don't eat, what's going to happen to us? We're going to die. And we know that if we do not eat spiritually, we're going to die. It's just that simple. I received a letter from my daughter today. I'll share it with you. Just she, uh, we're very close. And uh, through the years, we've studied a lot together. She's living in West Virginia now. She and her husband are in Dark County Evangelism. And at the end of it, I wish I'd have brought the letter. I'd read it, but I'll tell you what she said. She said, Daddy, I'm just learning some wonderful truths. I want to share it with you. She said, you know, we get our strength from the Bible. And she says, every problem we have, I think we should find the solution to it in the Bible and claim the promise. Well, that's good. Is the answer there? And is there power in it? How much power? The power that spoke this world into being, the power that spoke the universe into being, is in the Word. And if you and I take that Word and say, Lord, this is my problem, I need help, it says all His biddings are enablings. And if we will find the solution to our problem in sacred writings and claim the promise, there's victory. We don't do that. We say, I wish I was this and I wish I was that. Isn't that? Did you ever wish you had an airplane or you had a horse or... You had a car, or you didn't have this, or you had that. Did you ever do any of these wishing? Well, how much good did it do you? Not much. Not much. You just waste a lot of energy, that's all. But folks, it isn't that way in Christianity. Christianity is a science. Did you know that? That's right. Now, we were talking about the science of salvation. <clears throat> there is a science of salvation. Now, I want you to notice a little paragraph here. In, this is page 191. When a real love for the Bible is awakened, 
and the student begins to realize how vast is the field and how precious is treasure, he will desire to seize upon every opportunity for acquainting himself with God's Word. Its study will be restricted to no special time or place. And this continuous study is one of the best means of cultivating a love for the Scriptures. And do you know what happens when we begin to love the Scriptures? We love God and we love people. This all goes together. Let the student keep his Bible always with him. As you have opportunity, read a text and meditate upon it while walking the streets, waiting in a railway station, <coughs> waiting to meet an engagement. Imp- improve the opportunity to gain some precious thought from the treasure house of truth. Let me tell you my own personal experience. Uh, I think I told you the story. i just tell you briefly. Uh, when I was out in Idaho, I think I mentioned to you that uh, I got an organ and I wanted my family to learn to play it. And none of them wanted to play it. And so I said, well, all right, I'm going to do it myself. And so I got up every morning at, and practiced two hours on the organ for six months. And I, I could play a little bit, not very much. You understand, I wasn't headed to be a concert organist. And, uh, but I, I just did it. And uh, I was up there practicing one morning and the Lord spoke to me very plainly. You know, He puts thoughts into our minds. This is one way He talks to us. And he said to me, you know, just as plain, now what are you trying to prove anyway? Supposing you do learn to play the organ. And you use the time you could be doing something better. Supposing you lost heaven because you wanted to play the organ, practice playing the organ two hours a day. Now, if you'll just use that in learning about me when you get to heaven, I'll let you play the organ without any practice. Well, I closed my book. And I used the two hours to study. And I want you to know it took me six months to where I really came to the place where I loved it. But I stayed with it every day. And I came to the place where I just couldn't lay the Bible down. But did you know when you neglect the Bible a little while, it loses its power and it loses its beauty. It loses its ability to take hold of you. It takes systematic, continuous study. If you'll stay with it, it will bring us beautiful and wonderful experiences. This is what it means by neglecting the preparation. It's neglecting the part that we do because God has promised to do His part. If we fail, we'll never make it. It says plainly, though only those who are diligent students of the Scriptures and receive the love of the truth. I'm quoting from Great Controversy. The chapter of the Scriptures is a safeguard. Read that chapter. It says, Only those who are diligent students of the Scriptures and receive the love of the truth will be shielded from the terrible delusion which takes the world captive. Well, now, do we believe those things or don't we? Are they true or aren't they? Well, if God says it, it's true, isn't it? And folks, the thing that we need to realize is that the Bible is God's lesson book. And it has everything in it we need for salvation. Now, I haven't much time left. I, I want to read. I had several things I wanted to study with you, but there's an article in the Review and Herald that I'd like to share part of it with you. I carry it in my Bible, and it's in the Review and Herald, November 3, 1897. Any of you that you could get this, uh, I don't know where this came from. Someone gave it to me, but uh, you could get this article, and it's, one of the, it's, it's a beautiful article. This is just a part of it. 
The reception of the Word, the bread from heaven, is, to be, is, is declared to be the reception of Christ Himself. As the Word of God is received into the soul, we partake of the flesh and blood of the Son of God. That's what? As the Word is taken into the soul. <coughs> Excuse me. As it enlightens the mind, the heart is opened still more to receive the engrafted Word that we may grow thereby. Man is called upon to eat and masticate the Word, but unless his heart is open to the entrance of that Word, unless he drinks in the Word, unless he is taught of God, there will be misconception, misapplication, misinterpretation. Do you know why there's misapplication, misinterpretation, misconception? Because we're not willing to do what it says. As long as we read and the Holy Spirit works in us and we are obedient, it's going to be more and more beautiful and more and more enjoyable. Yes. I also noticed that many times uh, a delusional path is a path where we find things in the scriptures and yet as we know them we fail by faith in applying them. That's right. And then we find ourselves knowledgeable classroom Christians. That's right. It's so easy to become to get to the place where we're playing games. You know what I mean? We, we make out like we're doing something we really aren't doing. You know, it says in uh, in First Corinthians, the last chapter, or Second Corinthians, the last chapter, what it says in Philip's translation, it says, do not be deceived. You can't make a fool out of God. Oh. You can't fool God. Folks, we need to be honest with ourselves and with Him, don't we? We don't we believe that time is short? Don't we believe that things are moving into the final movements? Well, let's not deceive ourselves. Let's be honest with Him. Let's be honest with ourselves. Now, notice what this next says. As the blood is formed in the body by the food eaten. As what? As the blood is formed in the body by the food eaten, so Christ is formed within by the eating of the Word, which is His flesh and blood. Isn't that beautiful? He who feeds upon that word has Christ formed within the hope of glory. The written word introduces us to the search, introduces to the searcher the flesh and blood of the Son of God, and through obedience to that word, he becomes a partaker of the divine nature. Now we go to communion service and we partake of the emblems, but well, we can partake of the body and blood of Christ when every day and many times a day. The Bible is His Word. You see, the tree of life that man lost in the Garden of Eden has put, been put into Christ. He, has, he is the tree of life. And it says the branches hang over the wall and we can still eat of its fruit through the Word of God. We eat of the tree of life. All may eat and live forever. As the necessity for temporal food cannot be supplied by once partaking of it. By what? By once partaking. So the Word of God must be daily eaten to supply the spiritual necessities. Now, suppose you say, well, I don't think I'll eat today. I ate yesterday. You know, I'm all right. Have you ever said that? Well, you can do that once in a while. Well, you can do it once in a while. We don't do it very often. Now, notice, by reason of waste... 
and loss, the body must be renewed with blood by being supplied with daily food. So there is need of constantly feeding on the Word, the knowledge of which is eternal life. That Word must be our meat and drink. It is in this alone that the soul will find its nourishment and vitality. We must feast upon its precious instruction that we may be renewed in the spirit of our mind and grow up into Christ, our living head. You see, we are the body of Christ. That's what the Bible plainly teaches. The life that He laid down to become a man, He gives to the whole human family. We are a part of Christ. And you know, in Philip's translation, there's a, I like, there's some things in this translation I like very much, especially the book of Ephesians. Once you notice what this says. Praise be to God for giving us every possible spiritual benefit in Christ. Now, how do we get Christ? It's not wishful thinking. It's through what? Through the Word. He is in the Word. The Word was made what? Flesh. And it's the Spirit taking... These living truths and making a part of us, this is how we get Christ. It's not, it's not wishful thinking. A lot of people say, well, I don't have Christ. Well, He's in the Word. And as we have Him, we'll have Christ. Now, it says, For consider what He has done before the foundation of the world. He chose us to become in Christ His holy and blameless children living within His constant care. He planned in His purpose of love that we should be adopted as His own children through Jesus Christ, that we might learn to praise that glorious generosity of His, which has made us welcome to the everlasting love He bears toward the Son. It is through the Son at the cost of His own blood that we are redeemed, freely forgiven through that full and generous grace which has overflowed into our lives and opened our eyes to the truth. Now here's the statement. For God has allowed us to know the secret of His plan. And it is this. He purposes in His sovereign will that all human history shall be consummated in Christ. He purposes in His sovereign will that all human history shall be consummated in Christ. This is saying that every act of human history that is retained in the book of record is the acts that are done in the people on this earth through the indwelling of Christ. Everything else is selfish. Everything else is to be blotted out. It's only what Christ does through us is unselfish. And as Christ looks out on this great multitude of people and sees them and sees their character, He sees every act of their each life has been done through His indwelling. And they are His body and He's the head. Without me, you can what? Nothing. nothing. Anything I do without Him is what? Is nothing. It's selfish. It's motivated from the wrong motive. Now, am I talking too straight? Is this, do you really think this is true? Yes. No, that's Thank good news. Well, does it mean something? Is it available? Can we do it? Mm -hmm. No, that's the everlasting gospel. And folks, I believe that the will is not so much in endeavoring to do right, but in doing those things that will give us power to do right. You understand what I'm talking about? 
see, my willpower isn't going to make me go out here and lift a hundred pound weight necessarily. It's going to be going to the table and eat so I'll have strength to do it. You understand? And if I quit, eat, if I quit eating in a little while, all the willpower in the world won't lift a hundred pound weight. Is that right? I won't have enough strength to do it. So if we've starved spiritually and we aren't accomplishing it, what's happened? We don't have the spiritual stamina. But if we will diligently do the things that God has told us to do and He gives us grace to do, there is a process goes on that will give us spiritual strength. Yes? So spiritual strength will really enhance physical strength. Sure. They work together. Considering like dying, when, when like Sister White speaks can come and die from food in the appendix, when she had a fight against her vinegar habit. Yeah. To have a conviction of even taking the pains of suffering that's right. Now let me let me go on with the next thought here. Now this this is something. This is really something. Remember that he, that the secret of his plan is this: he purposes in his sovereign will that all human history shall be consummated in Christ. Do you understand that? That Christ is acting through every human being, and he sees in his people the outreach of his life. Now, what's the next thought? And here is the staggering. And that everything that exists in heaven or earth shall find its perfection and fulfillment in Him. And here is the staggering thing. That in all which will one day belong to Him, we have been promised to share. So as He has lived in us, so He, has, he is going to reign through us. You know, when He went back to heaven... After he, after he came from the dead, after he raised from the dead, he went back to heaven and he refused to receive the homage of the angels. You'll find this in the Bible commentary, the comment on, on John 20. I won't turn to it. You can put it down. It says, when he went back to heaven, he refused the homage of the angels or of any of the... The whole general conference of the universe was there. The ones that had condemned Lucifer when, uh, when he refused to give allegiance. They're all there to welcome Christ. But he waves them back and he will not accept any homage until he gets the assurance from his father that his family on the earth, on earth are accepted with him. And it says he states explicitly that titles and rights gain through him. And Christ became a man to give us life that we may share his titles and his honor and his glory for all eternity. But he has to live in us that we may share that with him. Do you understand? Because we're all evil. There's nothing good in us. And the only good is what he puts in us. And that is the all that he can save is what he puts in us. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. All right, what does it say now? And here is the staggering thing. That in all which will one day belong to him, we have been promised to share since we were long ago destined for this by the one who achieves his purpose by his sovereign will, so that we, as the first to put our confidence in Christ, may bring praise to his glory. That's, uh, uh, that's Philip's translation, the first chapter of Ephesians, the first part of it. Now, back to this. I, it says, by reason of the waste and loss, the body must be renewed and, folks, the spiritual life that we have today will not take over till tomorrow. Have you found that? You can have a wonderful blessing today and tomorrow it isn't there. You have to renew it. Now we can carry over a form, but we can't carry the spiritual life. 
It is in this, that word must be our meat and drink. It is in this alone that the soul will find nour its nourishment and vitality. We must feast upon his precious instruction that we may be renewed in the spirit of our mind and grow up into Christ, our living head. When this word, when his word is abiding in the living soul, there is oneness with Christ. There is a living communion with him. There is a, in, in the soul an abiding love that is sure evidence of our unlimited privilege. A soul without Christ is like a body without blood. Like what? It is dead. And how do we get the body of Christ? Through the Word. Yeah, that's right. The life is in the Word. That's Christ. It may have an appearance of spiritual life. It may perform certain ceremonies in the religious matter, in religious matters like a machine but it has no spiritual life. So the hearing of the Word of God is not enough. Oh, we can have the most wonderful meetings in the world, but they do not give us spiritual life. They only give us an incentive to get it ourselves. Spirituality is not transferable. Unless we are taught of God, we shall not accept the truth of the saving of ourselves. It is brought into the, It must be brought into life practice. When a soul receives Christ, he receives his righteousness. He lives the life of Christ. As he trains himself to behold Christ, to study his life and practice his virtues, he eats the flesh and drinks the blood of the Son of God. When this experience is his, he can declare with the Apostle Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right. Will you do one thing for me? That's this special. Maybe we can get that printed. Would you like to have a copy of it? What is that? It's taken from the Review and Herald. Maybe we can get the printers to print this off. Uh, it's a beautiful quotation all the way through. It's, it's right to the point. We're going to continue on our study of the second lesson, second lesson book. And remember, it's the Scriptures and Nature. Will you bring something to share with us that you found from the lesson book next time? Will you bring something to share with us? Remember that it isn't yours until what? Until you share it. Until you share it. That's right. So bring something. And I'd like to give 20 minutes at least and share with it. Find something that is yours that says in, on page 340 of Desire of Ages, if we have been following Christ step by step, we shall have something right to the point to say concerning the way He has led us. This is the experience which our Lord calls for and for one of which the world is perishing. For our personal experience regarding something that the Lord has done for us. And we're perishing for it. All right. We'd like to pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.